Morning. How you doing? Good, good. Enjoying your mask? Yeah, yeah. Hey, in California, they don't want you to sing in church. So at least we get to sing. And, uh, you know, I told somebody, I said, you know, it's every pastor's dream that the people in his church would sing with such gusto and volume and excitement that they could actually spread a germ. You know, you know, half of you kind of sing like you have a mask on all the time. You know, not, not, not a lot, of, lot, lot into it. So um, this, this, is, this is your chance, you know. It's, take a deep, sing as loud as you want. Nobody can hear it hardly anyway, you know. And it, you, you don't have to get the words right. You don't have to be in the right key. You can just go for it, you know, and, and, and let, it, let it happen. But we're, we're glad that you're here. We, uh, we opened up with this song this morning, and we've been talking about this whole concept of the, of the, of the end days, the last days, and it's, it, we, the, the, the phrase that comes out of uh, theology is this idea of the apocalyptic literature, the, the scriptures that have to do with the end times. So not the zombie apocalypse, but the apocalyptic literature. And, and the, the, the song that we've just sung, the, the words to this song uh, come very much out of that literature. So when it talks about the streams flowing together and, and, and the, the, the life that comes from that, I mean, that's the picture out of Ezekiel and what happens there. When it talks about dancers dancing on injustice, it comes out of the book of Malachi and it talks about the response that happens, the joyous response when the uh, iniquities and when the sufferings and the inequities and the crime and all of that is is done away with and, and how there's there's dancing and rejoicing where there used to be this kind of sin that was happening in culture and society. All, all these words come out of that kind of literature um, of, of opening up the gates and, and preparing the way for the Lord. And it comes out of the prophet Isaiah and he talks about the idea of making a way in the wilderness and the coming of God. And so it, it's this song is very much out of that. But as you sing the song, sometimes it's hard to make the, the words maybe make sense as you're going, well, that's a kind of a weird image and that's a different idea. And I wonder where they got that. I, I want you to know it, it comes out of this very idea of in these last days, we are preparing the way of the Lord and that he is going to come and wash away wickedness and that where there's been mourning and suffering and despair, there's going to be rejoicing and dancing because sin is going to be done away with. And so that's, it's very much that picture. And so we want to worship with that in mind. Father, we want to say thank you for the, all of the promises we have about you coming and what you coming is going to be like and how you're going to take care of sin and how you are going to release people from bondages and poverty and prejudice and anger and crime and all of the violence that happens in our culture. And that's going to be done away with. And instead, there will be dancing in the streets, rejoicing over the fact that, that the unrighteous things have been done away with and righteousness rules. And so we want with our worship to declare that we are making the way for the Lord, that we are saying, yea, Lord, come quickly. Please, Lord, come again, that we are opening the way for that. And so, God, we are asking that you would come quickly, that we would see the fulfillment of all of the promises of your return. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you have told us and what you have promised us about what's ahead. Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing in a way that prepares the way for the Lord, all right?
keep on playing that song. Just keep on playing that song. Oh, Jesus, all my life is yours. I surrender to you. How good you've been through every season, through every season, right by my side.
it's good that God is great because a lot of the stuff that we face is pretty enormous. We need a great God to do amazing things. I want to ask you to to join me in a prayer specifically for those people who are are making decisions in regards to uh, education in our community. Um, It's proven to be a difficult time for them, and and they're they're scrambling uh, even now trying to figure out what what this fall is going to look like. And, uh, you know, we we had some ideas. People kind of responded to to some things, you know. we put all the classes online and teachers started changing things and putting assignments out and people that didn't have internet access, they were providing that and giving them Chromebooks and we're doing all this stuff. And what we saw was just this real failure in education in our community. And, and again, I don't, I don't say that to fault any of the people that were desperately trying to react. They were, they were just handed this weird situation and they tried to do what they could do. But it, it went from, well, we, we, we had grades to we're just going to make everything pass fail. And then we're going we're gonna to reduce a, a passing grade to 60%. And then it's, well, we're going to quit sending out assignments because nobody's getting the assignments done that have been already handed out and they're already behind and they're already failing. And um, it, it just turned into a real crisis of how education was going to adapt and how education was going to work. And, and the reality is we need our students to be better educated, not less educated, because uh, the problems are going to get bigger. And, uh, you know, the, the, next, the next virus that comes along, somebody needs to make a vaccine and that person needs to be well-educated or they're never going to figure that out. So we, we need education to thrive, not fail. And uh, we've had trouble adapting. And right now, the people that are going to make decisions about schedules, do we go half a day and then other half? And do we go this day and every other day? And I, they're, they're scrambling. And I think they deserve our prayer because our students deserve our prayer because we want them to be well-educated. And so I'm just going to ask you to join me in praying about that issue in our community this morning. Fair enough? So, Father, this morning we just bring to you those people that are, are desperately trying to figure out how to respond. They've, they've been handed a situation, and they're now trying to figure out, what do I do with this situation? But, God, they're trying to do it in such a way that somehow inspires learning. It somehow motivates students to become excited about gathering information, things that they didn't know from before that they now know, and being excited about learning those new things, and somehow connecting what they learned in this class to what they learned in that class, and bringing those two thoughts together, and somehow creating new ideas. God, our students need to thrive, and they need to thrive in knowledge and in education. We want them to be smarter than we ever were. We want them to know things we've never known. We want them to discover answers that we've never thought of. God, we want them to be well-educated. And God, the situation that we find ourselves in is challenging to that. And so for superintendents and curriculum directors and department chairs and students and, and new rookie, student, or rookie teachers, God, I just pray that you would give them wisdom. Give them understanding about how to motivate learning. I pray, Father, that parents would re-engage in levels they've never engaged in before. It's been easy in some ways to just give the education away and say, here's my kid, make them smart and send them home for dinner. I pray, God, that parents would become engaged, that they would become a part of that learning process. And God, even, even, if, even if their kid's in a math class they don't understand anymore, they can be excited about learning. And so, God, I pray for parents that they would engage as well. God, we want our students to thrive. We want them to do well. And so we're praying for wisdom, for answers, that decision makers would make wise decisions, that students would be motivated, that parents would be encouraging. We want to see our students thrive. 
We ask for that in your name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thanks for praying with us about that. And you can, uh, you can wave at people. That's, that's, that's what we can do now. We get, we get a chance to do that. So uh, this week was supposed to be family camp, and uh, that's why I'm wearing my shirt. We, we made these, I don't know how many months ago, uh, in, in advance in planning for family camp, because one of the activities at family camp was, was going to be that you got to come to family camp and you got to make your own shirt. And so you can, you can make these. I made this one, and uh, you can, you can, there's a way to do this. I don't know much about it, but there's a way to do this. Well, family camp gets canceled, so we can't go do that. Uh, and you can't make a shirt in a half a day. Uh, it takes a couple of days to do this whole process, and so we're missing out. But this was to remind me that I was supposed to talk about the fact that though family camp is canceled, this Saturday we're going up to the lake, and we're going to have a day at the lake, and we get to do a lot of fun things. You don't get to make a shirt, but you get to do a lot of other fun things. But next year you can make a shirt. And my commitment is not to outgrow this by next year. That's... <laughs> That's one of the things, because I've been working on the COVID-19 right here, and uh, I gotta, I gotta back off of that. So uh, anyway, we're, uh, so that's my pledge, is to make sure that my camp shirt fits next year. But anyway, here's some announcements. We want to check out what's coming up this week. Good morning. I am Carissa, and I am so glad that you're joining us this morning. We want to know that you're here today. So one way you can do that is through our digital connect card. You can access our digital connect card online at the URL below, or you can access it through our app by clicking on connect card. With our connect card, you can give us your name and your information so that we have a way of reaching out to you. In addition, you can update any information that you may have already given us, like a change of email or if you moved. You can also use our connect card to get more information about a particular ministry. With our connect card, we also have a section where you can submit a prayer request. If you've been submitting a prayer request, you can also use that connect card to update us because we do pray for you every single week. Bethany, guess what? What? Weren't you like super bummed there was no family camp? Yeah, I was planning the whole summer to go. Well, guess what? What? We're doing family day camp. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. We better get ready. Let's go! Join us Saturday, July 11th from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. at Joseph Stewart State Park. To register for more information, check out parkwaycc.com. Don't forget to bring your own chairs, lunch, and maybe some sunscreen. Dinner will be served at 5 p.m. We can't wait to see you guys there. See you soon. Bye.
Hello? Hey, there we are. Good morning. So I have two comments. One, I put sunscreen on my nose for you guys, so you need to go to family camp. That's a rule. Okay. And two, high school trip was way more fun than that. The slideshow doesn't even do it justice. It was awesome. So before I forget, uh, to limit touch services, offering we'll be taking at the end of service or those little boxes out there. So if you're giving offering this morning, check that out. I actually remembered. Yes. Okay, so I'm going to welcome our chi children up right now. So you're in first through fifth grade. We're welcome up. You guys get to go with really cool leaders, too. You guys, they're awesome. So you get to go hang out with them. And I'm going to welcome middle school to the back with Keith and Nancy. And finally, Elise, do you want to come up? So Elise went on high school trip. Is there anyone else here who went on high school trip? Yeah, there's a few. It was awesome. So... Yes, high school trip is fun. Yes, we get to do craziness on boat rides and jump in the water and go off slides. But the best part about houseboat is that God moves every time. So Elise is going to share about what God did in her life. Okay. Um, hi. So um, I deal with depression. And so it's really hard for me to, like, love myself and appreciate who God made me to be. And so going on this trip, I learned a lot about myself and a lot about God. And so God really opened my eyes and taught me how to love myself and gave me a purpose. That's good. All right, come on. Let's actually give God praise for that. You guys, the whole trip, that is what God was doing. He was just working. In, and this is just like one small piece of what God did. And it was really, really awesome. So I want you guys to pray with me. Let's pray for our kids. Let's pray that they would hear the word this morning. But let's also pray that what God did at Houseboat would be solidified this morning and that God would continue to work in them. So, dear Lord, I just thank you, God. I just thank you for what you've already done. God, you've already began a work, God, in the hearts of these children before they even got here. You've already began a work. God, I just thank you for each one of their lives. I pray that, God, that their ears would be open, God, that they would be um, extra great at listening this morning, God, and that they'd be able to be impacted by that. And, God, I just pray for... God, what you already did on Houseboat, God, would you just remind them of that this morning, God? Would you uh, just soften their hearts towards those things again, God? Would you continue to work in their lives and continue to speak to them in your name? Amen. So we are in 2 Timothy. So if those of you that need a chance to find that, either on the page or electronically, uh, give you a chance and give you a minute to take a look at that. Uh, I just want to say that uh, I uh, appreciate all of the uh, not illegal fireworks. That, that sounds bad. So we'll just call them the unauthorized fireworks that were happening last night. Uh, it, just, it just wouldn't be the 4th of July without fireworks. And uh, somebody invested a whole lot of money. <laughs> there were was, there was some pretty amazing kinds of things going off in somebody's backyard. And I uh, had a chance to see that off our deck last night. And that, uh, I, I just appreciate that. And, you know, and I mean, and let's, let's think about it. If there wasn't somebody bending the rules a little bit, there wouldn't be any 4th of July to celebrate. So, uh, you know, we, we appreciate the people that, uh, that made the effort. Uh, so that's, that was a good thing. Uh, so I, 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 have to, I have to tell you, just, I just got to put this disclaimer up that um, talking to a bunch of people with masks on, it, it feels a little bit like I'm talking to mannequins because I, I, really, I can't really see you know, anybody and I can't really read any reactions or any responses. So uh, I'm just going to say everything three or four times until I think you got it because I, I can't tell whether you did or not. You know, just, it's, a, it's a weird 
I'm just going to tell you, it's just kind of a weird, weird feeling. It was, it was almost easier when everybody was home and we were doing it online. It's, now I keep looking at it. Did you, did you get that? Are you listening? You know, I'm, I, 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 then I get, then I get sidetracked when I'm, I'm looking at somebody going, are they, are they still breathing behind that thing? You know, I mean, what's, what's going on in there? So uh, it's just, uh, it's just a little different. So I'm just going to put that out there. I just thought I'd tell you that. So we are, are looking at uh, 2 Timothy. The reason we are doing this is kind of a continuation of what we started a few weeks ago when we did this whole idea of looking at end times, the return of Christ, what Scripture tells us about how things are going to be before Jesus returns, and how we should be living. As I told you, none of us are going to be able to predict what day Jesus is coming back or who the Antichrist is or how any of this stuff is going to work out in the specific details. And none of us are going to get that right just looking ahead. But what we can do is look at some pretty specific instructions that Scripture gives us about how we should live in light of difficult times. And so that's what we're looking at as we look through this book of 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy. In, in 2 Timothy, Paul starts off by reminding Timothy that he was not the first to believe, nor is he alone in his belief. And, and that's an important thing for us to remember, that the, that the faith that we have has been handed to us over generations by some incredibly brilliant people. Now, that's not to say that every Christian was brilliant. I'm simply saying that some incredibly brilliant people in history, in fact, were people of faith, and they are the ones who provided us with our perspective on faith, who have given us understanding of what it is we believe and how we should respond to certain situations. And Paul is reminding Timothy, Timothy, you've been handed something that has come to you with the careful attention of some very incredible people. And he said, and some of those people were very close to you personally. And so he reminds Timothy of his grandmother. He reminds Timothy of his mother. He reminds Timothy of his experiences with Paul as they shared uh, some experiences, life experiences together. And so he shares with him that he was not first in this, nor is he alone. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. There are those people who have gone before, who are cheering us on as we move through our part of, hey, my turn to run the race, you know, kind of the relay thing. I've got the baton now. I'm going to hand it to someone else. But right now, I'm the one they're cheering for because the baton's in my hand, and I'm going to hand it off, and then I'm going to cheer on the person that I've handed that baton to. So Paul is reminding Timothy of these things. It's part of the perspective of his faith. He also reminds Timothy, you've had some personal experiences with God. You need to fan into flame the gift that was given to you through the laying on of hands. He says, Timothy, you've had some personal encounters with God. Don't sell those encounters short. You've had personal experience. You've connected with the divine. Do not forget the fact that you have connected with the divine. And so he reminds Timothy of that, and he ends it all by saying, and Timothy, don't forget, in the face of all of the things that you are going through, you have not been given a spirit of fear, or not a spirit of timidity, is actually the word. It's, it's more than, it's not the oh, boogeyman in the closet kind of thing. It's this idea of being timid, of being bashful, of being ashamed, of being afraid. He said, you've not been given that spirit. You've been given love, power, and a sound mind, and you need to respond to life with that. And so that's how Paul introduces this letter. And he says, therefore, 
So again, I just remind you that, you know, the, the great theologian that said, whenever you read the word therefore, go back and read the verses and find out what they're there for, right? So they're, you know, so it's based on all of these things. Paul's now going to make kind of a summary statement. He's going to say, if this is true, and this is true, and this is true, therefore, so he's going to make this connection, all right? So it starts in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Uh, so I, there's not a period there, but I will tell you that this is one of those places where the Apostle Paul kind of kicks into mode and, and he just starts laying down truth on truth on truth. And, and it's, it's, it's here where we find out that the Apostle Paul is a pretty brilliant guy who has this ability to take all of these thoughts and begin to pull them together and say, boom, you need to know this, you need to know this, you need to remember this, remember this, remember this. You get all of those things together, you add them up, here's the logical conclusion. Paul has a mind like that. Most of the rest of us can't keep up with him. <laughs> I've told you before, I'm not smart, I'm above average, but I've met smart, and smart is scary. <laughs> and Paul is scary. He's not just above average, Paul is smart. This is a guy fluent in multiple languages. This is a guy fluent in cultural history and, and application. This is a guy who understands the Old Testament probably better than anybody. This is a brilliant guy. And here he is just laying these truths out. What we need to do today is to try to kind of simplify those, back up a little bit, catch on to what he's saying, and apply it to us. So all of us that are, you know, kind of average need to get a hold of what this guy that's brilliant is trying to tell us. And so before we get too far away from this, I want you to look at those opening phrases again. He's just said, Timothy, you have not been given the spirit of timidity or fear or anxiety or shyness. You've not been given that. Turns right around and says, so don't be ashamed. Don't be timid. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid of what? The testimony about our Lord. It says, you know that you were handed this by people you can trust. You know that this thing is bigger than you. You know that you've had a personal connection with the divine. You know that this thing is incredible. You do not need to be afraid, ashamed. You do not need to be timid. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering. Now, if any of us were going to write this letter, we would say, avoid suffering if you possibly can. Get out of it if there's any way you can do it. If you have enough faith, you would never have to suffer we would find some way to write this verse different than the way Paul writes it. Paul says, do not be timid. Do not be ashamed of the testimony. Don't be ashamed of the people who are suffering for the testimony. And you need to share. <laughs> you need to share in the sufferings. Certainly the thing that we're going to do is to say, I'm going to avoid suffering at all costs. In fact, I'm going to avoid inconvenience, let alone suffering. I don't even want to be inconvenienced. Okay? I don't want to wear a mask at church. I mean, you know, I, I get it. None of us want to do those things. And here is Paul telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to share in this. That means Timothy is actually engaging somehow in this whole thing. You need to share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God 
who saved us and called us, not because of anything we did. We didn't earn this thing. We didn't deserve it. We didn't get to say to God, hey, I'm so wonderful. You should save me. He said, it's got nothing to do with any of that. It is by God's own purpose and God's own grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. See, here's that perspective again. Timothy, you weren't first. It's before the ages began, which has now been manifest through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He's saying, Timothy, something amazing has happened through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul had all kinds of rules about how to be a good person. He had hundreds of rules. Those rules talked to him about what he should eat and how he should prepare his food so that he would not get sick. It talked to him about how he should respond to social and and governmental structures. It talked to him about how he should handle his finances. It talked to him about how he should treat his animals. It talked to him about how he should deal with his property and how he should respect the property of other people. Paul had hundreds of rules about how to be a good person. That wasn't what he needed. He didn't need any more rules about how to be a good person. But he did not have life and immortality. That he found in Jesus. And he's saying, Timothy, this is an amazing thing. This is not just some code for living. This is not just how should you vote. Not, this is not what kind of music should you like. Timothy, this is immortality. This is eternal life. This is being changed at the core of who you are forever. This is an amazing thing, Timothy. You need to hang on to that. You need to actually embrace whatever comes with it, even if that includes suffering. He says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not timid. I'm not shy. I'm not backing away. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that which I have entrusted to him against that day. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul's just one of those guys, as I said, that's just smarter than the rest of us. And here he's just layered all of these concepts and all of these ideas. But I think we can get a hold of kind of the basic thrust of what is important to Paul as we look at these verses. So I said, he's told Timothy, you weren't first, you're not alone, the gospel is amazing. The truth about Jesus is transforming lives for eternity and is giving mortal people immortality. And Paul is saying, I'm inviting you to not be ashamed or intimidated away from your convictions and your beliefs, regardless of the temporary situations that you face. God is doing something eternal. You are going through something that is temporary. You need to put temporary in light of eternal. You need to get this perspective right. Because otherwise, you're going to get overwhelmed by things that really are not that important, that are not going to last that long. And you need to stay focused on the things that are going to last forever. He's calling him back to that and telling him not to be ashamed, not to be intimidated. And I need you to understand that what Timothy faces is more than somebody putting a nasty post on Facebook. Timothy is actually facing persecution. He is facing arrest. He is facing a possible death sentence for what it is that he's teaching and believing. The mentor that he's learned it from is already in jail. And Paul is telling Timothy, I'm not ashamed. 
You shouldn't be ashamed. Remember, this stuff is temporary. What God did is eternal. You need to keep your perspective on all of the things that are happening. Share in the sufferings of the gospel. It's, it's just, a, it's just a, a, a kind of a, a clear construct of thought. And if you can just kind of hang on to that. I thought about putting it on the screen, but that, that sounds like way too academic. But here's Paul's thing. Timothy, don't be ashamed. And again, I would remind you, that's not just the idea of, oh, I'm embarrassed. It's the idea of being timid. It's the idea of being shy. It's the idea of walking into class or walking into work saying, I don't want anybody to know what my beliefs are. It's more that intimidation kind of thing. It's a shyness. He's saying, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Why? Because God is up to something amazing. The gospel is amazing. So don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. And if necessary, suffer for the sake of the gospel because it is better to suffer temporarily than it is to lose your faith. He says, be willing to be strong in the face of all of this. And the reason that we can have that approach is because this whole lifestyle is based on the power of God. It's based on the power of, the God, the, of God. The gospel is made powerful because of the love and grace and mercy and power of God. It's nothing that we did. We don't create this thing. We are affected by it. It affects us. It changes us. We experience it. We begin to understand it. We can live with it and through it and in it. But at the end of the day, it's the power of God that's making this thing work. It's not how clever I am. It's not how strong I am. It's not how, how well I think my thoughts out. It's not how well I articulate myself. It is God's power that's making this thing real. Our ability to face difficult situations is not going to be because of how brave we are. It's going to be because of the power of God. And that power is motivated by His love. God has done great things. God has done amazing things. And they have impacted our lives and they have changed us at the very core of who we are. And they have changed us for eternity. And Paul is calling Timothy, live your life in light of that reality. I want you to see how Paul describes this eternal life perspective and how it determines his response. This thing that God is up to has changed him and it's defined him. He says, I am a teacher. I am a messenger of what God is up to. And he says, that provides me the perspective that I have on processing the things that are happening around me. I want you to just look at with some other verses with me that talk about this same kind of concept, all right? So in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul says, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. It doesn't say we shouldn't lose heart. It doesn't say that we don't lose heart most of the time. It doesn't say that we don't lose heart unless it really gets difficult or unless we face really hard persecution or difficult, stressful times. He's saying Timothy, to the church in Corinth now, but his letter to Timothy, we do not lose heart. Why? Because of the power of God that dwells within us. Because of the grace of God that has changed us because of the experiences that we've had with God. 
It's not, it's not because life is easy and there are never any problems and there's never any challenges, there's never any questions and there's never any difficulties. He says we don't lose heart. Why? Because of who God is and what God's done and our faith in that. We do not lose heart. He says though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. <laughs> Some of you have lived long enough to understand what that verse means. Because it's kind of a bummer when you get up in the morning and you're sore and you haven't done anything yet. You know, it's like, wait a minute, that, that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> and I, I didn't do anything yesterday either, right? I mean, you know, so it's like, oh, this, that's not good, you know? So there's this sense in which Paul is going, hey, I've lived long enough and I've been beaten up enough, literally, beaten with rods, whipped, thrown in jail. I mean, shipwrecked, all this stuff's happened. And all of the pain of that is setting into his life, into his body physically. And Paul is saying, hey, I get it. I, I feel like I'm kind of wasting away. But inwardly, where the real me is, inwardly, I am being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. How can you say that it's light and momentary affliction? The only way you can do that is when you understand that whatever you are going through is temporary. It will not last forever. This is not the way it is always going to be. This is a light and momentary thing. What has been done to me through the power of God is eternal. That's what matters. And I go through these situations based on that truth. That's how I see everything. This is eternal. God is all-powerful. I have been handed a rich faith that has come to me through the integrity of other people. It has been passed on to me. I have my foundation, my roots, the depth of who I am connected to eternity. And because of that, this thing that I'm facing right now is a light and momentary trouble. That's not some sort of spiritual or religious denial. God never asks us to pretend that bad things are good. He never asks us to somehow say, well, let's just pretend it doesn't feel that bad. I don't know. I think getting whipped and beaten and thrown in jail is a bad day. Paul would understand it's a bad day. What he's saying is I can have bad days and a good life. And the reason I can have bad days and a good life is because my life is eternal, not momentary, not temporary. He says, I see that and I know that. And he's calling them to that. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. I need you to know that God is also fair and that he rewards those who have suffered. He rewards those who have suffered. When you read in Revelation and it talks about the throne of God, it says that there is a special group of people who are protected and are kept under the throne of God. Do you remember who those people are? The martyrs. Why? They have suffered greatly and their reward is great. I need you to know that God is fair. He is not just asking you, you know, buck it up, soldier. <laughs> He's, he's not just pretending that what you're going through is not difficult or frustrating or fearful. He is rewarding those who are faithful 
through the light and momentary afflictions that they go through. There are rewards connected to those who persevere. Paul said, we get to heaven and there are going to be people and you're going to say, that person was a martyr. There is some way they are identified in heaven and they are given glory and reward for what they have suffered. God is fair. He understands that these situations are difficult and he rewards those who go through those difficult circumstances. He said, it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because the things that are seen are transient. They are temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. I just tell you, it's hard to keep your eyes on the things that are eternal, isn't it? Because this stuff right here just gets your attention. This person said some bad thing about me. This horrible thing took place. This was inconvenient. Somebody came up with this rule. They've got this new regulation. This stuff is right here. And it is hard to get your eyes off of what is here so that you can see what is there. Paul said, I look to what is there and I use that perspective to evaluate what is here. This is eternal. This is temporary. This is rooted in the power of God. This is just sin working its way out through people's lives. I look at all of the things that are here based on what's there. I have this eternal perspective. So Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. It is the power of God that that brings salvation to anyone who would believe, to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. A couple pages over in that same book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, therefore, again, you'd have to go back and see all the therefores, but trust me, it's therefore. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the key issue. That's what the gospel is all about, is you having peace with your creator. You being at peace with the one who gave you your existence, the one who is defining your existence, the one who has destined your destiny, that God coming to peace with him is what the gospel is all about. Because if you don't settle that issue, you'll never get any of this stuff right. You'll be looking for people to somehow fill what only God can fill and provide. You're going to be saying, give me my destiny. Tell me I'm important. Tell me that what I do matters. Tell me I'm significant. Give me rewards. Give me accolades. Tell me I'm good. I need to know I'm okay. Because everybody on this planet needs to know they're okay. Everybody on this planet needs to know they're okay. And if you don't find out you're okay by connecting with the God who gave you your life and your destiny, you will be desperately trying to suck that out of the lives of the people around you. And Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of this. I have been justified by faith. I have peace with God through Jesus. He says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You don't deserve it. You're never going to earn it. You're not going to be good enough for it. That's why it's called grace. (laughs) It's what you need but don't deserve. He says, we have been 
we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. My identity is where? In the grace of God. In the fact that God thought me worthy enough to create me, give me a destiny, and then save me from myself before I screwed it all up. I'm standing in grace. Okay. I know, you're getting hungry. Let's, we'll move on. I'm standing in grace, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, that which is eternal. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. No, we don't. We complain and moan and cry and carry on. That's what we do. He's saying, no, no, no. I can rejoice in sufferings. Why? Because whatever I suffer is temporary. And whatever I'm going to experience is eternal. I can put life into its perspective. I can rejoice in sufferings, knowing why. Well, suffering actually produces endurance. It actually produces endurance. It makes you stronger. And endurance produces what? Character. You grow up a little bit. I, I, I will just tell you that's one of the things that happens when you get old. You learn some things just by breathing. You know, if you breathe long enough, you learn some things. It just happens. You didn't set out to learn it. You just learned it because it happened to you. And you go, oh, well, I know that now. And I didn't know that yesterday. And the only reason I learned it is because I'm still breathing. And I, just, you learn some things. And every once in a while, you'll see somebody coming along and you're going, you know what? I remember when I knew everything like that guy knows. <laughs> I remember, because there was a time when I knew everything. I had an answer for every question. I knew everything. I was, I, you should have known me when I was younger. I was brilliant. I mean, it, I, it, I was scary smart. That's how smart I was. I was brilliant. I had answers for everything. I knew all the answers. And everything was easy to fix. No, just do this. Just do this. Just do this. Everything was easy to fix. And then life happened. I found out I didn't know everything. And I found out that some problems are not easy to fix. Some problems are amazingly complex. And all I can do is the next right thing. All I can do is treat the person in front of me with the respect that Jesus treated me with. And I can't solve all the issues. I don't have enough money, and even if I did, I'm not smart enough to solve poverty. Jesus told us that. He said, the poor will always be with you. The poor will always be with you. No matter how much money we take from this person and give to that person, eventually that person's going to end up poor again because they don't know what to do with what they've got. I can't solve those problems. I can't educate every person about how to properly handle their finances. I don't know how to solve all the issues of prejudice. I just know how to be nice to the person in front of me. Regardless of what they look like or how tan they are, I can be nice to them. I can't solve all the problems because I can't control everybody else's behavior. Sometimes life just beats you up a little bit. And when it does, it humbles you up a little bit. And suddenly you don't know everything and you don't have easy answers to everything. It builds a little character into you. And instead of being arrogant and saying, well, if all of you people would just listen to me because I have all of the answers and if you would just do this, I'll be better. Somehow God just builds a little character in you. He just beats you up a little bit, lets you get knocked around a little bit, and pretty soon you're a little more humble than you are. 
Paul says some of our sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Because <laughs> when you realize you don't have all the answers, you start trusting in the God who does. <laughs> I've, I've found that faith gets easier as I get older in a lot of ways. Because when I was young and I had all the answers, I didn't need to trust in God. I just needed everybody to do what I said. And then we could solve everything. And now when I realize how complex these issues are and the fact that I can't fix all of those things, I've got to walk into situations and say, you know what, I, all I can do is do the next right thing and trust God to do the rest. It, it produces this faith. It produces this faith that produces this hope. And he said, hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us, who has given us this hope for eternity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of God belongs to, to God and not to us. So this is an analogy that, that goes all the way back to the idea that when God made Adam and Eve, or when he made Adam, he said he reached down, he grabbed the mud, he shoved the mud together, and he blew air into it, and he said, there, I got a person. And Paul's saying, these are the jars of clay. This is the mud that God shoved together and blew air into. He said, we have this surpassing greatness in these jars of clay so that it can be obvious that the power belongs to God and not to us. You should be obviously more than you could be on your own. When people see you, when they see you handling situations, responding to circumstances, engaging in relationships, managing your finances, raising your families, engaging in your career, they should be able to look and say, there's more than mud with air in it over there. That jar of clay has something in it that is divine. They may not know it's divine, but they should see in you something more than mud with air in it. Paul says, there's a plan here. God has stuck the divine nature, the Spirit of God that created the universe, that raised Jesus from the dead, that Spirit dwells in you, in the mud with air in it. God put Himself in there. And people should see something more than just your best. They should see something divine about your responses and your reactions your words and your choices and your decisions. There should be something that says there's more than human over there. When Paul writes to the Corinthians, he said, I wanted to write a letter to a group of Christians, but I can't. I have to write a letter to a group of people who are merely human. That's the phrase he uses in Greek, merely human. He said, you're calling yourself Christians. You're not. You're merely human. I can tell by how you behave. You're not behaving like people who have the divine spirit in them. You're behaving like people that are just mud with air. I'm calling you to be more than that. And so he gets after them about some of the things that they need to change in their life because they've become merely human. He said, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I says, ah, we're inflicted in every way, but we're never crushed. Ah, we're perplexed, but we're never driven to despair. 
been persecuted, but never forsaken. We were been struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Don't be merely human. Don't be merely human. And I get it. Some people that are merely human are pretty impressive because they really are smart or they really are beautiful or they really are talented or they really are fast or they really are strong. I get that some people that are merely human are pretty impressive. God has called you to be more than that. You're not called to be merely human. You are called to be a vessel in whom the divine dwells. A person who understands life from the perspective of the eternal. God has called you to an awesome thing. And he's giving you the power to be the very thing he's called you to. This is how James says it. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So here's what it gets down to for Paul. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. He doesn't say, I know about whom I have believed. Though I will tell you, there is nobody on the planet at the day he wrote this letter that knew more about Jesus than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had met him in visions. The Apostle Paul had met him in dreams. The Apostle Paul had been led into the wilderness and taught tutored by the Holy Spirit for three years so that he would understand the Old Testament. And this is a guy who had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament before the Holy Spirit ever started teaching him. Paul knows more about whom he has believed than anybody on the planet. He said, it's not knowing about him. You need to know whom you have believed. Folks, you need to know Jesus not about him. You need to know him. There are reasonable things that you can do to come to know who he is. Certainly you can engage in scripture, that which is breathed of the Holy Spirit that is living and active. It says it has the ability to work like a scalpel. It can come in and cut right to the deep issues in your life. And it can separate between the things that are of you and the things that are of God. It can explain things to you that are delicate and intricate and deep and unfathomable. The Holy Scriptures can reveal amazing things to you. You need to read it. You need to think about it. You need to ponder it. You need to apply it. But I would tell you that I think above even all of that, in the noise of all of the things that we're going through, you need to shut up and listen and hear his voice until you know him. Sorry, I wasn't supposed to say that's a naughty word. Um, you need to become verbally silent uh, so, so that you can come to hear and know and understand the voice of God. You need to know whom you have believed. You need to hear his voice and know it's his voice when he's speaking. Jesus needs to be able to call you and not have to say, hey, this is Jesus talking. You need to pick up the phone and go, I know who this is calling. I know this voice. I understand this person. This is a person I know, not a person I know about. Because a person you know about but don't know will have to introduce themselves when they call. 
A person that you know doesn't have to introduce themselves. And I would tell you, in the midst of all of the frustration and all of the weird things that are going on, it is really tempting to say all the things you want to say, to offer your opinion to all the opinions that are being offered. And some of you are like me, you kind of verbally process. I talk to myself, not because I'm an idiot, but because sometimes I get stupid ideas. And I'll tell you, if your stupid idea just rolls around in your head, it's amazing how it will gain momentum. But then you say that thing out loud and hear yourself say your stupid idea, it comes back to your ears and you go, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> and you realize you're the one that came up with it. It's amazing how, so, so I get it. Some of you are verbal processors. Some of you just can't wait to get your opinion thrown out there. I would tell you that the crazier sit the situation is, the quieter you need to get. You need to hear from the one that you know whom you have believed in. You need to hear from him in the middle of all of this stuff. And he says, I know whom I have believed, and I know that whatever I put in his hands is safe. And, and we say that kind of thing a lot. We dedicate children. That's one of the things that we do. And then we act like the only way God's going to be able to raise them right is if we somehow get in there and make sure everything happens the way it's supposed to. We say, I trust God to provide for all of my needs. Of course, I'm not going to tithe and I'm going to rack up a bunch of credit card debt to pay for all the things that I think I have to have, but I'm trusting God to provide for everything I need. You, you get the picture, right? We say the words, but our lifestyles don't always line up with all of the things that we've said. And Paul's summary of all of this, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to keep whatever I have committed to him against that day. That's how I'm going to live my life, Timothy. That's how I need you to live yours. How are you doing living by faith in the midst of all of this stuff? Because here's the good news. It's going to get worse. <laughs> here's the better news. God already knew that. He's got it figured out. He's got it handled. Do you know whom you have believed? And are you convinced that he is able to keep that which you have committed to him against that day? Do you believe that? So here's how I want us to end our time together today. I want you to just put your hands out like this. Come on, it's not going to hurt you. All you people on, online, put down the coffee and the donut. Get your hands out here. Now, I don't want you to do this, because when we do that, that's, that's, I'm trusting in me, God. I got it. I got it handled. I'm, I'm hanging on for dear life. Again, that, that's, that's not what we're doing. We're going to do this, and we're going to say, God, here it is. I don't know what's in your hand this morning. For some of you, it may be you. I mean, in that total and yet kind of generic sense of you, because somewhere along the line, you quit trusting God and started believing that you were going to come up with all the answers and fix everything. That somehow you were smarter than the God who made you. And this is your chance to say, God, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that you are able to take care of me for eternity. 
You're going to get me through today. You're going to get me through tomorrow. And you're going to take care of me forever. I'm going to trust in you. So for some of you this morning, it is your very life that is in your hands. For some of you, it may be your kids. For some of you, it may be your finances. For some of you, it may be your health. For some of you, it may be your emotions and your anxious thoughts. Thanks for that testimony this morning about that. I don't know what's in your hand, but I want you to trust that whatever is in God's hands is safe. Whatever is in your hands is at risk. Whatever is in God's hands is safe. And so, Father, we just open up our hands, and it is just a symbol, God. It's just a way of reminding ourselves and of showing you that we know whom we have believed and we are convinced that he is able to keep that which we have committed unto him against that day. We are just confessing that by our hands being open. And so God, whether it is just our life or whether it is some aspect of our life or it is someone that we love and care about or it is some situation or circumstance that we're afraid of, whatever it is, God, we are opening our hands and saying they are safe in your hands. Whatever is in your hands is safe. Whatever is in your hands is safe. And so we give it all to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Here's your assignment this week. As soon as it starts to happen again and you start to do this. I got this. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to get this kid to do what I want. I'm going to tell the governor what I think. I'm going to, you know, I mean, as soon as you start to do this, I want you to physically, literally stop, shut up, listen to the voice. I I said it again. (laughs) Listen to the voice of God and say, God, it's in your hands, not mine. All right. All right. Let's do that this week. God bless you. Go be a light in a dark place.